Welcome back to Art Smack. This is episode 21. I'm your host, Matt, and I'm here with... Jerry and I, Jerry and I have an awesome conversation for you guys. Jerry, who did we speak to this week? We spoke with Mr. Handsome himself, Alex DePerja. Did you realize that our podcast is 21, meaning technically we should buy it a beer? <laughs> a beer? What about some champagne? Come or on. some Ruinart champagne. <laughs> so stay tuned for our conversation with Alex. As a reminder... Artsmack is an independent podcast, and we rely on your guys' support. So please go ahead and before you listen to the episode, give us five stars, won't you? Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcast. Leave a comment, engage. It really helps us, and it really helps get the word out about the show. Cool. That's the truth. Welcome back to Artsmack. Mr. Alex DePersia, welcome to Artsmack. How you doing, sir? I'm doing pretty well, thanks. How are you guys? I'm doing well. We're doing great. Where are you? I am in bed in London, just trying to rest a bit. Had a bit of a busy week, and uh, and yeah, I'm uh, in my happy place. You're happy. Alone in bed. So Hildy and I woke up this morning, as we always do every morning. We opened Artnet News, which is the first thing that our computer. That's what we go to immediately. Just kidding. But we did see a great article by Katia <laughs> Kazakina, one of our favorite journalists that's profiling you. So how did it feel? Did you read the article? I did. I read the article last night and um, I was, I, it felt really good to read. I think it, it gave, um, you know, you get nervous anytime somebody writes something about you. I don't know if you guys do, but I certainly do. do. Um, and, you know, there's the, I think, propensity in this uh in this business to to look for negatives and to seek out uh any sort of information that can paint somebody in a bad light you know we've got the flippers and we've got the you know there's so many articles we read and so many of them aren't uh painting people in a positive light so i was worried and then i read it and i was uh I was humbled. I was proud, which is not something I say very often in my life. Maybe this is the second or third time I've ever said that. Well, they just painted you as like the most handsome art man, art world man who has like the best taste in the world. So, I mean, yeah, who wouldn't yeah, be humbled like, by that article? I mean, exactly, exactly. I sent it to my mom, and like I was, I was, uh, you know, there's a little quote in there where I said, if my mom knew like how much I was spending, she'd give me shit because my mother always does. And, uh, <laughs> and like, literally she's like, Oh my God, I'm so proud. Blah, blah, blah. And like right before I go to sleep, she's like, but are you selling stuff? Like, have you sold stuff yet? Are you going to make money? Moms <laughs> are always going to mom. It's like, it's like, it's every um, mom clock, has a like universal clockwork. thing. <laughs> no, yeah, wait. Like they can't help it no matter what. I just want to go back for our listeners and say that the way that Alex and I, well, to back up, it actually lines up perfectly with the article, and I won't name any names. The way that I first found out about Alex is a friend of mine was like, I've met this man. He has the most incredible taste and art collection, and I'm bringing a work to his house that I sold him or I'm helping him buy. And I want to bring it to him in person because he's just so handsome and I'm so excited to meet him, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, who is this mysterious man? And then um, our, the first Art Basel that came back in September, like when our, when the world opened back up, yeah. 
Um, you were there and I like had to introduce myself because I needed to meet this, you know, ultra handsome man with the greatest taste in the world. And you and I sort of hit it off instantly. And what I loved is that you and I were walking around the fair <laughs> and we had so much fun because Alex knows everyone and he knows the tea on everything. And so he's walking around and he's like, this, <laughs> this is good. They're bad. This is good. That's evil over there. They're good. Like, oh, you want to see something? Come here. Look over here. Oh, don't wait. Look down. Oh, no. So oh, make a sharp left. Make a sharp left. Like he's like <laughs> guiding me through Art Basel. And then we sit down and we have a long talk and he's like spelling out like the landscape, like the true landscape of everything that I'm seeing at Art Basel. Like he's giving me the like 101 like of what Art Basel is because I was only familiar with Miami. <laughs> And like, and then on top of it, you're like, you don't even know, like me sitting with Jerry Gagosian, he's like, I'm either ruining my reputation or really elevating it right now. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it was, it was panic. It was panic at like each turn of who we're going to avoid and who we're going to hi to. And then like great conversation and then like quick panic and then like great conversation. <laughs> and then I remember sitting down. Because, like, I think it's the first time I've been to a fair since my last back surgery. So I was so tired of, like, walking. And I think I just let my internal dialogue completely spill out. <laughs> no, but <laughs> I, I think really... we had masks on, right? Was it? Yeah, was I it think we had to time? wear masks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was, like, even wearing a hat. And I kept saying, like, don't worry. I don't think anybody can recognize me. And you kept saying, are you fucking kidding me? Everyone knows who you are. And I was like, <laughs> yep. but I really had fun and I really appreciated that. And then I think you were the first person to take me to the three Kings. You were, we went the, we went that evening. You we were the that first evening. You were and the first person. to. Not, not only that, me. we had dinner at Kunstala and in, in three Kings. Yes. The, and the, you were like, you were afterwards. like, do you want to really see what Art Basel is all about? Let me bring <laughs> you to the three games. <laughs> and I remember like this one conversation. You're like, this person, yeah. very bad. You're like, the, and then another person is like giving me a lecture about like how we need to save the world and how like every, you know, how selfish everyone is. And like, basically, what is it called? Something altruism? Like what? Effective altruism. Yeah, what's altruism? Somebody's it's giving me a lecture altruism. on effective altruism. And then I find out their family. Or they like to call it now virtue signaling, right? This is yeah. The new, and and the then I find out that their the family like exports like all the sugar off the continent of Africa. And I'm like, nice. wait a minute, wait a minute. Like what? So like you really helped me understand like the landscape of Art Basel. I will be forever grateful Alex, for that. Alex, got a question off that. So how did you come to understand the landscape of Art Basel? And basically, you know, I'm asking, I think I, you know, when did you get so into art that you become an insider in it? Um, it's a really, it's a really, I wouldn't say it's a tough question. It's one of those things that as, as much as I say it really came as a, like, as a natural thing it wasn't purposeful it was i think it, you, we talked quickly about the article um you know i was in hollywood i was an actor and i was having like many ups and downs more downs and ups and then slowly started buying art and then realized oh shit you can make some money off art and i wasn't like a kid you know we talk 
to these people, Hildy, like the people we were talking about at the fair, these people grew up with this, like this is their life, you know, like they're for their parents or they're this or they're that or like art around them grew up with this in their house. And I grew up with a mother who, you know, went to art school, but, you know, is a, like smokes pot all day long. She's not really like a, she's, she does her own thing. You know, my my education just like really quickly. Um, I think when I started collecting, which was my early 30s, I I had a I grew up uh, in a very fortunate way and so I knew a lot of uh, people um, that are in this world um, but I think I never really put two and two together as uh, you know this type of person equals art or equals access to this or that and I went to see Jeff Koons who we all kind of love and hate I don't know about you guys but you know, it's a love and hate for me but he's so he's an intelligent guy and he said it was at, I think, like the 92nd Street Y. And he said something like, you know, when I was a kid, if you wanted to learn about art, you'd have to wait uh, to the weekend to maybe go to a museum with your parents. If like if they weren't if they had the money to bring you and they weren't too busy. He's like, but now we have Wikipedia. And like that just like set off like a light bulb in my head. I could have figured that out on my own, but it took Jeff Koons to say it. And then I was like, these are these artists I love. Right. For me, it was like always Basquiat as a kid. And then it's like, OK, Basquiat's biggest influences were, were Twombly and Dubuffet. And then it's like. I just kind of traveled that and there's so much there on the internet that if you can figure out how to use it, you can learn so much. And I'd, already, I'd spent my life going to museums and being around art. But then when you start into the business side of things, uh, it's very eye-opening. It's an entirely different, it's really hard to quantify and to even think of uh, you know, going to a museum like the Met that has, I don't know, with the number of uh, pieces on display is the percentage of their collection. And then you think of like this, it's really like a, the amount of money and just it's mind boggling. It's like the GDP of most countries is like in the storage of the Met. And so I, in learning about it, then I kind of, uh, I don't know what the, I think the word leverage has a negative connotation to it, but if whatever the non-negative term of version of leverage is, I non-negative leverage those relationships to further myself uh, as I started do, to do business. And as Hildy and I have discussed, it, it was kind of trying to sell blue chip art to afford, afford the art that I wanted on my walls. It was a really, it was a like, you know, make $10, spend 12. And you know, I'm still catching up on that. But in doing that, um, yeah. yeah. Oh, just one thing that I want to say, I want to give you a very genuine compliment, which is that when I visited your home in London, which you just moved into actually at the time, um, and when we did walk the fair, the one thing that I enjoyed so much, and then I noticed it now when you, when I read the article, it sort of was amplified in the article but was highly visible just being with you is like you really love art and you have like an indexical knowledge of art and I I I always say to people because I'm like very anti-art school at this point and I'm like you all you really need is like a library card and to just start going to shows and making friends um, like you don't really need to go to art school. You just need to like a passion to like go and learn and understand what it is. And when you and I were talking and I think like you had some new paintings coming in and you were showing me things and you were showing me ceramics that you'd gotten and like maybe some new works. I was like blown away because at the time these were like emerging contemporary artists that you were showing that like were very new to me. Like these are artists I hadn't heard of yet. 
now they're sort of becoming very prominent and understood as like the next big thing. And you really have an incredible eye and your finger on the pulse, but it's not like in a, um, how do I say this? Like it, like you just said, I I don't want to use like the, like you said, I don't want to use leverage and negative connotation. Like, I don't want to say like in, in the hot, wet painting kind of way. Like, I don't want (laughs) to imply that you're like great at finding the next hot, wet painting, but like you love art, but you also have this great eye for sort of figuring out what is going to be the next step in contemporary art and if it were just like a business transactional thing I think that would be apparent but when I was hanging out with you the only reason I think that you and I could actually be friends was the fact that like you have this indexical knowledge of art so when you're talking about like why you like something you begin tying it all back into art history and I'm like this man loves art (laughs) so it's like it's not so beautiful actually it's really beautiful to watch somebody in real time trying to understand why an object exists and why it becomes important why it should be important well thank you first of all that was that's as high of a compliment as i think i've ever received um (laughs) it's interesting you said that because i was having a conversation um with one of the employees at cayard art where i did the show in paris and we were talking about um young artists and getting to, to know artists and beginning friendships with them and seeing, you know, how some, you, you can maybe lose the friendships as they take off, go to a big gallery, things go around. And we just went into our mutual love for art. Uh, she was very knowledgeable as well, and also just a lover of art. Um, and we got to this point of the discussion where, did you see the Anderson Cooper and Rick Rubin interview like two weeks ago where Anderson Cooper asked Rick Rubin, who for anybody listening is like the world's greatest music producer, right? And he lives in like this compound in Malibu, his beard and just like does ice bat. He's just and the meditates. coolest. And meditates. Yeah. And Rick Rubin's like, uh, so Anderson Cooper's like, so do you play any musical instruments? And he just looks at him and he's like, not really. And he's like, can you work a soundboard? He's like, no. He's like, so what do you do? And he's like, I have taste. And yeah. I was like, and it was just like deadpan. And I remember reading A.B. Rosen, a uh, 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 thing that an interview with A.B. about his buildings and the way he lived. And he lives, you know, an amazing lifestyle with beautiful things. And it's not something that can be taught. But where this conversation led the other day, and I think I can tie this is me just tying it into my head as we speak, leading back to my life as an actor and my training as an actor and what brought me there is empathy. Um, and I think people love to say, oh, I'm an empath. I'm an empath, which is a very 2023 boring thing to say. But I think true empathy, you know, you can really relate to how people are feeling and what the you can take pulse of a community of not just artists, but the collectors, people in general with, with where the world is going and how it's feeling. And I think that has somehow uh, helped me in the way that I look at art. It is. It has been, I think you said, you know, it, with the wet hot paint before it becomes something, it's just being able to connect to it and see it. And yeah, of course, there's the aspect of palette. You know, there's certain, you know, colors that people just aren't going to want to live with, you know, but that's a different question. The, the style, the approach, um, even without tying it to art history, you can kind of see, you can quite funny if you spend enough time on Instagram or just on the street and you see how people 
dress and act and react to what's going on in the world, you start to get a feeling about them and who they are as a mass. And I think when it comes to looking at art, you can tie in what you take from those experiences to what you look at. Um, and it's a, it's not something that's exactly quantifiable. I don't know. Is this making any sense at all? Yeah, it um, does, Alex. So what do you think? It, what, if you have your finger on the pulse, and I know that you do, what is the pulse saying right now? Right? What changes are you seeing in the last few months? Uh, we always talk on this podcast about figuration where it's headed versus abstraction or, you know, what are you seeing that you think is coming from, you know, your perspective? I see from my perspective, there's this, um, there's a gallery I love in, in Portugal called ADZ run by uh, a really great guy called Danny Lamb. And he's a huge lover of Kai Althoff. And he refers to that process as kind of slow painting. And that's the, the place I see the world going, the art world going next is this, these kind of gentle, beautiful figures. You know, obviously we've seen this in the Julian Wynn market taking quite quickly. And I don't think that has anything to do with uh, the Matthew Mark connection there. He's a talented painter and he paints these kind of ethereal, beautiful creatures. And I think when you look at, uh, uh, Kai Althoff's work it's it's really there's some things that you can look at and it's really impossible to just not like it you know like like no matter who you are no matter what you've collected you can look at it's like looking at you know the when fall comes before the leaves fall and you see the back of the leaves twittering in the sunlight like there's some work that's just like that nearly Im impossible to to not like certain things and I think if you look at if you look at some of these, he shows a painter called Oliver Back, um, who's uh, from what I understand starting to. I've been buying his work for a few years from Danny, who's starting to get some momentum, and I know a lot of galleries are looking at him. But it's just like this um, ethereal, magical quality, and I think what people need uh, now more than ever, and I think you guys other than waking up and reading artnet like i do i wake up i read the news every day it's the first thing i do um and i read multiple news sites and it's so shocking and depressing that like so there are some days that like the russia ukraine conflict doesn't even make the top 20 stories because there's so much other shit going on yeah. so i think that lends to this kind of like um very like ethereal magic of these figurative painters that are kind of coming in now that are really that just really bring you to a peaceful place and calming you know i had a i've just switched it out but i did have a huge painting of oliver's hanging in my i moved to a new place by the way he'll be right, oh, he right across the street but oh. yeah it's great it's I'm, but it's right across the park that i was on and it's great but i have these like four meter ceilings which allows me to like i feel it feels really special i mean it feels like ridiculous that i'm able to live like this and I get to and it makes art it elevates whatever art you put in there but I had this Oliver back painting and I don't think a single person who came to my house knew who he was but there was not a single person who didn't love this painting and you know I only switched it out because there was another painting that I just gotten that I really wanted to live with yeah. um oh wow they're beautiful it, it was the only spot favorite. for it. they're stunning and if you look at um this whole kind of program Danny has he's got um a young lady named Katrine Bobek, who also kind of follows of this, like, I don't know what you would, but you have a better knowledge of art terminology and history than I do, but it's not like the, the colors aren't pastel colors, but the feeling is like this very, 
uh it's soft you know it's yeah. ghostly and you know it's so funny wonderful. matt always calls them hildy paintings so it's funny because i have this very particular um taste in paintings i don't like anything very hard edge it's just been sort of a it's nothing that i can help it's just my taste and um it's been that way for a long time so i've been very out of vogue for a period because I don't like things that <laughs> I don't like things that have hard hard lines. So like anything that is like outlined in black or is like very like hyper realistic is like a very strong turnoff to me. So every artist that you're referring to right now, I'm looking at and I'm kind of like kicking Matt because I'm like these are Hildy paintings. These are Hildy paintings. <laughs> this is very much like up my alley and I'm glad that you're referring to all of these artists because to me it it sits somewhere between abstraction and figuration which is it and it allows my eyes to rest and it, it, I'm not I'm it's not art speak for me it's just it allows but that's exactly it that's, yeah that's exactly it that's that, like why I was bringing up the news you know we have so much shit going on and and it's hard uh, for everybody, um, no matter which way you cut it, um, no matter where they're from or what they do. Like the last few years have been tough. The last few months have been really hard. So these paintings, these Hildy paintings are really transporting and they're peaceful. Um, and when you walk into your house at the end of the day, your house is you know, your home. It's where you want to feel comfortable. It's where you want to feel the best. And these type of paintings, for me, at least, uh, really do that for me um you know there are some things that like there are artists you know i as you know i was a very early supporter of jade um and i like jade but those her more recent paintings are quite neon in color and quite uh harsh uh, is the again we need the net which is the positive version of harsh they're just they're vibrant okay whatever um they're and it's and sometimes you know they're such beautiful paintings. And I think if I had a massive home or a country home where I could have some space to really, you know, some paintings as we know need space, you know, we get a, 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 a 20, 30 centimeter painting can take up a whole wall on its own and a big painting can drain a room. So I think if I had a bit more space, I could live with those newer jot days. But for me, I was living with this painting I bought and it was, it didn't give me that calm that I was needing um, or wanting. And, you know, my, you know, this is what's above my bed, you can see, and I've got like a little Gustav Klimt drawing and a Jonas drawing. And this, uh, can I do this turnaround screen on Zoom? Look at this. I think you might have seen this. This is like this very early. I mean, by early, I mean 2010, 2012, before anybody knew she was Maria Berry. It's a girl on a horse. And it's like, I have it hung. So it's at like way low, like the art handle is like, what are you doing? And I was like, no, when you walk in your room, it's like you're literally at the same height as she is on the horse. And yeah. I think you just you need to have well, not well, not anybody. I'm, I'm speaking for myself, but you come home and that's where you rest and that's where you want to find some peace. And I think where I see back to Matt's question are the market going now is towards that. And we're seeing that we're, we've already seen a bit of that, I think, um, in the market recently with Julian. Um, I think, uh, you know, it's some stuff is quite hard. Uh, Christina Quarles can paint, but those are not, 
easy things to live with. Um, it's, it's, I'm not uh, in my house. I'm not trying to like change the name of the game. I don't want, like, I just live with what feels good. And, you know, sometimes I feel like shitty if I take down a painting by an artist that like I'm friends with, or I know, but I want to live with, but it's just, it's not, it doesn't feel right. Sometimes, you know, you want to, it's interesting because you just like a Gustav Klimt, but then you're talking about some of these other artists and we, I wasn't, we're not being rude when we're looking down at our phone. We're just sort of following you um, through some of these artists while you're mentioning them. And there is a through line, which is 100%. interesting with Oliver. You yeah. Can see it. There's almost like a, you can sort of see the uh, the inheritance uh, or the red thread, like people like to say, um, where it's almost like there is a ref reference to tradition, a, a more traditional type of painting in that versus like a Christina Quarles, which is, um, how do you call it? It's like neo surrealism packed with a lot of neon paint. <laughs> no, I mean she's like maybe she she fits very well with the hauser program i guess and uh what's her name maria lasnik like you can see the maria lasnik paintings and then the christina corals i guess yeah of course Whatever. those two fit together quite yeah. well um i wouldn't like, mind owning a maria lasnik but you know, i don't really you yeah, know it would be bad you know but but like when I'm looking at those paintings, you see these you see the connection um, very well. And you also see I wonder and I don't think that this is bad. Like we just had Hiba Shabazz on our last show and we were talking about beauty, which for a long time was sort of like almost a taboo in art. And I think what you're referring to, maybe without saying it, is like allowing for beauty to sort of re-enter the like discourse like beauty has entered the chat yeah <laughs> um yeah and to to an extent um it's almost like beauty is a is our contemporary escapism in fine art like it's funny because i remember in the early 2000s when i got into art the world would seemed like such a more innocent place and I remember it was like the grungier the crazier the more sort of um like the harder you could go in a shocking way the better but it was because like, like the Dan Colony kind yeah. of New York scene of art yeah but I feel like that's because you know the world back then could almost like handle it and was interested in it because we weren't all so traumatized by what was happening at the time that the art world was like, ooh, edgy, yeah, let me see, but let me get shocked <laughs> by art. And now we're all like, oh yeah. my God, my heart's fucking bleeding. Like, I need something that's like gonna, you know, soothe me a little bit. Um, and I think you hit the nail on the head with that. I mean, that's, it's spot on. Um, I think in this world where we're like so we're so connected even if we don't want to be um to knowing what's going on i mean so much more it's really i really like everybody i talk to and i say like oh, i feel old you know i've just turned 41 uh, you know i think back and i didn't i think i got a, a cell phone that was like the size of a car in high school that, fit, <laughs> that could barely fit in my pocket you know back then you know in the early 2000s in the 90s we were so far from 
the level of connection we are now that yeah. we are we get so overwhelmed by imagery and news and trouble i mean i really worry for the world i worry for the world in the way that you know people were so alone and so stuck during covid um it was brutal i think for me a gr one of the my my love for art helped me through covid because i remember those first few weeks where like everybody was just panicked and I remember, like, I don't know who I was talking to. I think it was my mother. And I was like, you know, you're always giving me crap for spending money. But, like, this is, I'm stuck in my house. And I get to look at these beautiful things. And if they can, I don't know, transport me for a little bit away from what's happening outside in the world, which I don't necessarily, I think some people frown upon stuff like that about escapism or whatever it may be. I think it's a little bit healthier probably to, you know, look at a, uh, a pretty uh, Nicholas Party or a Glenn Brown or whatever it is, then, you know, take ecstasy or get drunk. You know, it's a healthier form of escapism. So I was looking at the Vienna succession movement. So this is like Klimt, right? Back in like turn of the 20th century, eight, late 1800s. And there was a quote I found just from Wikipedia, which is ironic because, you know what, honestly, you can find out a lot of stuff from Wikipedia. Dude, it's amazing. Everybody donate to Wikipedia. I learned this. You know, <laughs> when they ask you for money, they really do need it because it's free. Yeah. Uh, so I was particularly struck by Oliver's work, the artist that we were discussing. At. And by audience, we'll link all these artists for you so you can go and check them out. So one of the creeds of the Viennese succession movement was, quote, our art is not a combat of modern artists against those of the past but the promotion of the arts against the peddlers who pose as artists oh. and who have a commercial interest in not letting art bloom. The choice between commerce and art is the issue at our stake in our succession. So that's that was their philosophy. That's do you fantastic. See, do you see that this generation embodying a little bit of that ethos? I mean, obviously, they're, they, you can't escape the market if you want to feed yourself as an artist you know well of you course so. that's the oldest part of art is the art market i mean they were patrons we go back to the 13th right. 12th century this was always a commodity we, um despite and I, what people want to say yeah hildy and i used to talk about this like i do think that the time the movement of our time in art has really been like the market or money or art about money or commodity art etc these types of things have really become prevalent basically since Hearst, I would say, moving forward, I think that would really kind of... Yeah, with that Hearst in. auction that he yeah. did at Sotheby's. It was like, that was like a conceptual art piece about art and money. I mean, truly, the Sotheby's auction. But we always thought that art movements usually swing in diametrically opposed pendulums. Like, you know, it moves from really hard edge abstraction to figuration and just goes back in history. So we always used to talk about what comes next after art about money. And I used to posit that it was like a new arte povera which is the movement from yeah. the Italians. But maybe it's this Vienna secession movement. I'm starting to have this realization. <laughs> I'm doing an exploratory monologue here, but I don't know. It, it's a very fascinating- I'm going to have to do some reading when we get off on this yeah. because it sounds pretty spot on. Um, I think you're right. I think we do. I think the-, the, the sh I don't think the market has- I wouldn't say the players in the market or- you know, it's really hard to distinguish between the quote unquote players in the market and uh, the gallerists and the collectors, because listen, there's not a single person out there that doesn't sell. It's just, right. I mean, uh, like Eli Broad might be the master of giving away, but I remember he sold one of his Bradfords at auction to pay for another Bradford he bought at auction. And like, <laughs> he wasn't a bad guy because he has a museum. And um, 
And I think you do see that pendulum swing. Uh, we saw it from the zombie formalism days, and then it went completely figurative. And, you know, and then the problem with abstraction is, is good abstraction is hard to come by. And when it comes to the market, it goes so high so quickly. Um, if we look back uh, into the, the mid 20th century and we look at our color field painters or Abex painters, they're so far out of reach for 99.99999% of the world. Um, and then we come to where we were. Let's, you know, let's go with the early 2090s with Chris Wool and what he was doing. And, you know, that became extremely out of reach for everybody very quickly, even though right now Wool's market is struggling a bit. I guess it was right. Stingle and kind of Wool were the abstract kings then. Um, and then it swung back to figuration and then it came to Lucian, you know, and also there's a link between Lucian and Wool because it, there's something very, there's a study I read once and I haven't, we, we just decided to do this call. So I didn't do any research or thinking, <laughs> but it was about how the repetition is so pleasant on the human eye and black and white and repetition. So those rain paintings, people can say whatever they want about what happened with the market. They're beautiful things. A big, you go into a big space with one of these Lucian Smith rain paintings and it's just a calming, nice thing. You can say whatever you want about the market and about the way that it was played and who was involved in it and how it went. Um, but there was a beauty to it and that's what works. Um, and and you're right, it does. It's, it is very odd how that pendulum swings. And right now it's swinging so quickly. It's impossible to keep up with. And you really have to be a collector of art that loves what they buy. You know, I think you and I've never this is a so I'm sure someone will call bullshit on me for saying this, but I've never bought or sold a painting I don't like, even with. Uh, clients who have asked me to get something for them, I'd just be like, oh, ask someone else. I'm sorry, not for me. Like if I, I don't want to be, a, I don't want to push when there's this like a hot thing in the market or whatever uh, towards something that I don't personally feel a connection to. It just doesn't feel right. I should probably adjust that for my business plan in the future. <laughs> but now that I've done uh, my first show, but it's just something that's hard for me to do. It's hard for me to, it's hard for me to, I wasn't able to, uh, no insult to, uh, I try not to insult any artist because everybody is doing what they do for a living and they're trained and they work hard. And so, so no insult to like a Jordy Kerwick, but that it just was never for me. Um, and, you know, a lot of people were like, well, why didn't you buy it? You could have made a ton of money. And I was like, well, I, it, it's, I can't come to terms with just buying stuff that, that I'm not connected to. I'd, I'd probably be terrible as like a hedge fund manager, because I'd be like, Oh no, I can't, we can't buy into this company. I don't like the product, you know, <laughs> I don't like their ethos. I want to go back to your uh, article a little bit and just ask you, not that this is like the main focus of your article, but um, just because France is so much on the news right now, what was it like to have your show happening in Paris while everything is going like it's, burning in the streets and there's all these protests I was it was for me um you know I spent a lot of time in Paris uh, I have friends in Paris I go and I'd gone a few times um leading up to this show um to kind of 
get the blessing of some of the powers that be in the market, in the Basquiat market. Um, I wanted to, as it says in the article, wanted to keep the show kind of quiet so I could do it without, you know, someone doing it before me because, you know, there are a lot of people who have the inventory to just put on a show. And I remember one day I went and I hadn't thought, even though I've been following in the news, that like there's like a schedule for these protests, right? Yeah, and so like I one day, and as you know, I walk with a cane and I have to stop quite often when I'm walking. I can't walk very far. And one day I had to come back to London and there was no possible way to get to the train station to get to Gare du Nord. I had to walk from Saint-Germain to Gare du Nord. By the time I got there, I was like drenched in sweat. For me, probably the longest I've walked in five years. Um and I was like, oh, man, like, and my friends are like, oh, next time you tell us, uh, we plan to run this, blah, blah, you know. And I think, you know, I had this idea of Paris being the right place to do the show because of the two other shows that were opening. Um, but, and the, so the works didn't start, the show opened Thursday. Nothing had arrived until Wednesday afternoon. So I was already... Like at that point, I wasn't nervous. I was, I felt like I was failing um, at my first attempt at, at something. Aww. And then the work started to show up. Yeah, it was, uh, it was not, it was. By the way, that's really, a very was, common feeling and it always happens your first show. <laughs> yeah, I like, like a failure. Nothing's there. I knew some things that definitely weren't going to show up in time. And I was just like really, really beating myself up about it. And, then Thursday rolled around and we'd gotten a bunch of stuff hung by Wednesday evening and I was feeling a bit better and I get in my car from the hotel to go to the gallery and it just stops and the guy's like, oh no, we can't go there. All the bridges are closed. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and I'm like, why? Like I'm doing this show with like all these people that I've come to know quite well, like KR and, and like, I, I guess maybe they assume that I was up to date on what goes on and i pay attention like they do to the metro strikes and it was like i had to get out and walk like two and a half kilometers to the gallery by the time i got there i just like laid down on the ground <laughs> waiting for works to show up and i was like oh my gosh this is christ this is wild like is this wrong of me to be doing this on this day um is this like morally wrong is this from a business perspective an idiotic idea and then like i'm sitting there talking to one of the girls that works at the gallery and i'm like so like what time do you think i should go home to shower and change she's like well i would start you know maybe the show is opening at six she's like you got to get out of here by like 2 30 because the actual protest starts at three of course i don't pay attention to what's going on and i start to hear whistles and hoots and horns and we had a painting that was supposed to arrive that was in Paris on a truck. It had been, we were getting it from a collector in Paris at 9.30 that morning. And the guy had left in the truck at 9.30 this morning, that 9.30 that morning by 3 p.m. It was not with us. And he was blocked by the police two and a half kilometers away. So then Etienne, who I did the show with, had to go and meet him and walk with him to walk the painting through the protesters. And then I had to walk through the protesters to get back to the hotel and i'm like what am i doing is this is crazy and like i said it was this combination of like am i supposed to pretend you know this isn't this is a protest about retirement age as we know it's not um you know it is for me it's not something that personally affects me i'm not french i uh, <laughs> i work for myself luckily but i understand it's causing a huge uproar and it's causing you know civil unrest and the french are fucking really good at civil unrest it's like it, it's impressive you know the americans should take some cues on how to make changes because they know how to do it 
Um, and so as I'm walking back, I'm just like sweating and being like, oh my God, like, what am I doing? Like doing a show on the same day as this. And am I making a mistake by doing the show? And is it wrong to do a show? And then by the time I like got, I got back to the hotel and I showered and I put on my suit and I like started texting people I know. And I'm like, okay, what's the closest bridge to the gallery so I can get to the car there and walk across it. And I had like tried to plan out getting there and was so nervous about being late. And then finally, like just in time, um, they had opened one of the bridges and I was able to take a car across. I still got out and had to walk like about, I don't know, a, a kilometer or something. And it was intense. It was really, it was yeah. a really shocking like thing. You know, it's also the gallery is, um, I don't know, I'd say 150 feet from where the protest goes. So it was like, literally, if you just open the door and looked out, there's like bullhorns and mariachi bands and like floats and like <laughs> oh, thousands I... and thousands. No, of... They I'm were like, there to celebrate the... your show. What are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, I was just like, <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. And I was like, so you guys, where does like the protest take place? They're like, oh, like right there. And I'm like, what do you mean right there? And I looked outside and I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like what? <laughs> the, you guys, this is like, is this cool? That like, yeah, it's fine. I'm like, fucking the French are good at being like just laid back and cool and good at protesting. So I'm like, <laughs> these, they're like, they're like half these people are like, oh, it's fine, it's great. It, it you know, it's a, it's just like a bit of fun, like chain smoking cigarettes, carrying paintings down the street, and like you know, just like why don't we just go have a glass of wine and relax? I'm like, we fucking relax. Like, how are we gonna? How are people gonna make it here? Oh, don't worry, we deal with this every week. And I'm like, like it was, Same. It was and they like they burned down BlackRock, the investment manager, and they like invaded the BlackRock <laughs> yeah. offices. And I saw a tweet. It's like the French know how to party. Like this is like, dude, they they know what, dude, and they have like dope snacks out there while they're doing it. They're, they're like prepared. killing it. They've been doing they're this prepared. since Delaware. Was painting. I mean, even before. <laughs> Protests aside, obviously you can't predict that timing. Why do this show now? And maybe give for the audience some background on what the show is, how it came together, where you're doing it, and who you're doing it with. Um, the show for me, um, you know, we've known each other for just a few years now, not that long, and I've been um, in this business not nearly as long as a lot as my peers. Um, it's just. They either have been working at galleries or auction houses for a long time or they grew up in it. You know, I already had lived a full, complete different life before I moved into this. And it kind of came as it's in the article on Artnet. It kind of came by chance. Um, but, you know, I over the last few years, I've been feeling a bit empty is too strong of a word but i felt like i was i wanted to contribute a bit more i thought you know maybe when i was acting and you know i didn't do any uh you know uh independent oscar nominated works that have some impact on society you know my biggest film was a horror movie that did very well but you know i kind of had this idea of really wanting to you know i like to do charity work i like to give back but like i really wanted to do something that 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 contributed um, and not just buying art and selling paintings and helping people collect and collecting for myself. And, and so I had this desire to do more, but I didn't know what to do. You know, a lot of my friends with galleries are just like this. It's, it's brutal. It's difficult dealing with collectors, shipping artists, you know, as an, you know, I'm an artist, I'm an actor, you know, so I know how sensitive people are. So it's difficult. So I didn't know what to do. 
Um, and so I had started um, buying Basquiat works on paper, as it says in the article as well, because it just seemed to me where as the market we were talking about was changing so rapidly in the past few years it was a it was not only a safe place to put your money but like just a dream for me to be able to get to a point in my life where i'm so thankful uh and just like so grateful to the world at large that i was able to step into that to that world and to and to get there um and to be able to and that was actually a uh it was a trade-up scenario i ended up um Buying at the time uh, a secondary, I think I was the second or third owner of this Nicholas party. This is like four or five years ago. And at the time, it was by far the most anyone had ever spent. And like everybody thought I was an idiot. And luckily, I wasn't. And I eventually traded that for uh, like a 2012 uh, George Kondo painting. And then I had this kind of, I had a flood in my storage in New York and a bunch of stuff that was really important to me. All, most of the stuff that lived in my apartment got ruined. Like some, and like stuff that was, you know, the stuff that you live with as opposed to that's in storage in New York was my main home was like the stuff that I really adored and loved and worked towards. And I remember I bought my first Warhol and I was so proud of it. And this thing just got like destroyed. And I realized, you know, I did kind of shoot from the hip my whole career, so I wasn't didn't have the greatest insurance setup, um, and so I was out a lot of money, and so I decided I was going to sell this condo. But then I was kind of like, well, the market's all over the place. What should I do? And somehow I turned that Nicholas party into the condo into most all of the works in this show. Um, so it started with the Basquiat. And then I was brainstorming with um, with my friend Donnie, um, and he's got a very great art history background and has worked at a few galleries. And I think you know, I'd like to do something with Basquiat, I'd like to do a show, um, but I want to do something that 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 hasn't been done. And I always I've loved this, tasted this Basquiat du Buffet show, um, and I think like 2007, and it is one of the most just wonderful shows uh together you know they you see such a strong connection between the two painters um and it, it's not about recontextualizing or you know i think <laughs> there's a lot of work going on right now like uh where you know we, we saw the lynn drexler market take off and it was it's great to, to see this artist get recognized but i think now everybody is like uh you know, it's like the MO of karma, right? They are always picking up dead artists and artists that haven't been seen and trying to contextualize them. And I think that's just like, it's a bit silly because like people are trying to make something out of nothing. And so I wanted to make something out of something here. Um, and so at first, because I love Kondo so much, I think Hildy knows I have them all over my house, lots of drawings. And I love work on paper. Like, I'm a, like I think works on paper are my favorite thing to collect because it shows so much of what artists are capable of and so started with Basquiat and then I was thinking about Kondo and I was like oh man that's like that's maybe a very obvious bit cheating show especially given like where we are now in the market and then um I started talking to my friend about Pank and mm -hmm. and he recounted how uh Mary Boone and Michael Werner were married and there's this painting of the a triptych for Basquiat and I was like all right like let's do it and without any thought of what I was doing, I was like, I'm going to do a show. I'm going to get stuff together. I'm going to start buying. And because, um, you know, slightly paranoid, 
um i didn't want anybody to like hear the idea so i was trying to do this without letting a lot of people know what i was doing which made it so much more difficult for myself i don't know <laughs> if it was worth it or not in hindsight oh just to rewind a bit i think part of the reason other than wanting to like contribute and do something more meaningful than buying and selling is you know it, it's a pretty cutthroat world world art world you guys know that um uh, and yeah. i was Really? And, uh, yeah, it's yeah, it's brutal. And not just the art world, but the um the western world as we know it, especially America, really does not like to see people succeed and it, and there's you really learn who your fr your friends are sometimes. And you know, there's every time I thought I would do something great, you know, sell a Picasso, sell a Basquiat, uh if you don't buy it from the right person or do it this way you're kind of like on the outs and i was like shit like um, what the why am i like it, it's so hard to do if you're not if you're your own person if you're if you have your own identity and you don't stick to a specific social group which i never have i've always been me um you know i grew up feeling a lot like an outsider and even though maybe some people see me as an insider like i, I always feel like one and i spend my time with whoever it doesn't matter how much money they make or what they do or how much if they have art or it like it's not related to anything it's just the feeling you get from people if you enjoy their company if you want to spend time with them whereas this world we're talking about is, is very insular and it's not very welcoming to outsiders and so i started going from feeling like i was a outsider to a bit of an insider to back to being an outsider and then it was like all right now i gotta do something i gotta do a show and so um, I was really, I'm always brainstorming ideas in life. Oh, I want to start a company. I'm going to do an app. My brother's in tech. And it's like, I'm, I'm not one to really follow through that much. And I was like, <laughs> I am following through. I am following through with this. You know, I've put my time and my money and done my research. And this is a good idea. And I like it. And I was in St. Moritz, and it was Vito was opening an Iowa Away show, and Larry Warsh was there. And, and Larry Warsh, for people who don't know it, is you know one of the old school kings oh, yeah. of the early '90s. He was been on the Basquiat authentic authentication board, um, and he works with Iowa Away now. And I stopped him and I said, "Listen, I want to, do you have five minutes of time? I know you're here for an opening." And I kind of pitched him the idea, and I said, "I haven't told anybody." He said, "Why are you doing this?" I said, "Well, you know, I really want to do I really want to do something more than I have been doing in life, and I feel." That, you know, sometimes the, the more success you have, the more people want to take you down. And, and the only way I'm going to be able to get, get somewhere is to do something. And he's like, great. And I, he's like, where are you going to do the show? I was like, I think London or Paris, but probably Paris uh, because of the shows there. And like I saw him. So then we had this dinner and then he's like, do Paris. So we had this dinner for Ai Weiwei, quite a small dinner. And Norman Foster, the architect who's, you know, a genius was there. And he gave this speech um, that very much echoes what I just said. And he said... You know, Ai Weiwei is such a generous person and what he's done for China and building housing for artists. And he said the big difference of the Eastern world and the Western world where we all live is that there people just try to elevate the people around them. Whereas in the West, we just try to take people down. You know, we look at uh, any sort of uh, gossip magazine or something. It's never, you know, we have these like tanks, good news, and these Instagram pages we all follow because we want to see good news once in a while. And so... I figured it was time for me to do something on my own and I thought it was a strong enough idea and a connection that didn't, it wasn't a forced connection. I mean, I think visually uh, it's obviously not a forced connection of anyone who knows both AR Panks 
so 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 the show uh like uh, to answer your question matt is a show of um hank and basquiat works on paper um you know after abex kind of died out and conceptualism in the 70s like there wasn't much of an art scene in the u.s and everybody was looking everybody loved the germans you know there was kiefer uh Bozulitz, um pank and pank was pank was Bozulitz's favorite artist pank was like the favorite artist of a lot of people and in my mind i thought okay this is a great connection you've got mary boone and michael Werner who were married they both each represented these people they shared some artists like this is i can visually see this connection it's not me forcing something and trying to reinvent the wheel but i was like so surprised that this show hadn't been done um and so i tried to i really tried not to buy works for the show that were just for comparison you know yes there are two self-portraits and there are two really the, by total random the randomness the pank that i loved the most with this was this work called uber gang which i believe means uh crossing or paths i think it means crossing a german i don't speak german so but i think that's what it means um and it's about moving from east berlin to west berlin and um and escaping, you know, Pank was always under the eye of the Stasi and ended up right after making that, which was 1980, 81, going to New York. And then I have this Basquiat in the show um, of, uh, of a man holding a hammer and sickle. And it's like really poignant. And both these works were bought completely randomly without the thought of anything about the Cold War or communism in mind. And boom, like a connection was made. The essay for the show, which I can send you guys if you want to read it, uh, was written by a great guy that I met here. Um, in London called Matthew Holman. And he goes deep into the Cold War politics of art. You know, we know Andy Warhol, but did Hammer and Sickle. I mean, everybody was, the world was a messy place uh, when the Cold War was going on. Um, and so as my coming out into the world is something more than just a collector or dealer or whatever category I fit in, I'm not sure. I wanted to, you know, everybody says curate. I think that's such a strong word i don't really see myself i, I want to do a show you know yeah. and i was um you know spending time in paris and um my friend etienne does the programming at coyote art and um i was looking for space and i was really just like shooting from the hip he's like so you're what you're just gonna take a space and like how are you gonna do this I'm like, i don't know like hire some people and he's like how are you gonna import i'm like uh, like I, I didn't I wasn't thinking you're like in my luggage I was, <laughs> on yeah, plane. literally in my luggage on the plane uh, like what do you mean obviously there were some paper I can bring them in the suitcase <laughs> and so you know they are Kair de Art was founded by Christian Zerbos in order to publish the Picasso catalog resume and they put out these um, I don't know how many issues they do a year I think maybe two um, with unique um, prints in them and there's it's just this amazing storied publishing house and printmaker. There's this note they have in their office from Alexander Calder. And he's like, hey, I think it's the Christians there. I forget who it's to. Hey, like, sorry, I missed you. Um, but I left this hanging thing I've been working on in your office. And if you write a good review of my show at Foundation Mate, like, you can have it. And it's like the sweetest coolest letter you've ever seen and it's just this little note that was like hey if you can help me out like, oh, you can have you bet calder i'm like what it's it, and it's such a storied place and it really um it was a really nice fit to do it with them um it's a space itself visually is or two spaces that are across the street from each other um 
And it is a place that is about history. You know, they make yeah. books for artists and they print them. Um, they still print the Zerbos catalog resonate for Picasso. Um, and so that's how it came together. And it was for me really haphazard. Um, I mean, my, my, I live my life fairly haphazardly. Um, I mean, I'm Shooting like, from the look hip. At me. I'm in bed, dude, Shooting I'm in bed, hip. Matt. And I've got like next to me, I've got like Boscat certificate of authenticity from the estate. I've got some photographs of another one that I was going through that I have as part of like a presentation that I lost the other day and found it just says documents. <laughs> like, like I'm just, I'm shooting from the hip. I'm trying to do figure think, it out. You know, do you think um, this is the first of, let's say many, you know, projects? That I, you, has this I hope so. Maybe? I hope so. Great. Has It's definitely spurred some ideas in my head. I don't know where it's going to lead to. I don't know if, um, if I want to have a permanent space, but I do know that once I didn't realize how nervous I was back to where we were on uh, talking about doing it in Paris until like nervous, or I don't know what the word would be. Just, I didn't know the emotions I would feel um, in actually putting together a show and having people come and see it. And from what I could tell, like love it. And didn't have to even though i spent the whole first time i ever had a checklist in my pocket that's quite a funny thing to have on you i'm like like one of my friends said to me he's like is that the first time you ever checked a checklist i had like a glass of wine a cigarette my cane and like a checklist and i'm like trying to get it out of my pocket to look at it and they're like how much is this thing and i'm like dropping it on the ground I'm like what am i doing i remember um, but- i remember when i started my gallery um in los angeles or I remember the day actually that I decided I was going to start my gallery. Um, I, with my former business partner who was not in the arts at all. And I, at the time I'd been working in the art world from the bottom up. Like I used to joke and call myself the world's oldest intern. I'd had like every job in the art world, (laughs) but that was, it never suited me. Um, But I loved care. I'm an artist. And so curating actually came very like natural to me because as an artist like group putting on shows is like a very easy extension to being an artist for me um I loved it and I still love it that's why I still curate shows but I remember this moment and I think that this is maybe where you're at a little bit maybe you just haven't vocalized it to yourself and maybe you should is like no one is ever going to like give you permission. It's when you give yourself permission. It's like you have to finally claim it for yourself where you're like, it's yeah. time for me. Like, it's time for me to do this. Nobody's going to give you the crown. Nobody's going to ever say, Alex, it's time for you. Like it, you had to be the one that was like bold enough to say like authoritatively, I'm ready to do this exhibition. I'm knowledgeable enough. I've worked hard enough. I have the knowledge, like I am ready to step into this position. And I think that you did it successfully. So <laughs> congratulations. Like it's such a big deal. I think, I think you know me well enough to know that I'm a uh, very emotional person. <laughs> Give me a second. <laughs> Don't cry. <laughs> I'm really proud of you. Thank you. So um, I, I wasn't, thank you. Um, it means a lot. It, I didn't think it was going uh, it, to, it's not that I didn't think it was going to mean much to me, but I don't think I realized until um, 
I was at the opening and I was talking to people who I admired and um, and people that I didn't know. And, you know, as we know a lot of people through Instagram and the art world that you've never met because they live in different countries and talking about the work and realizing, oh, my God, I don't have to explain the connection. It's there. And I was, you know, um, there's a young lady I've recently met that I've been like talking to and she wasn't in town. And I and my mom also wasn't in town. And I didn't really tell my mom about the show until right before it because I really wanted to be able to focus on it and, and not have a mom being a mom. You said at the beginning, Matt, <laughs> like giving me like extra pressure that has nothing to do with the show. Um, and it was probably the first time in God knows how many years that I don't think I looked at my phone once from about <laughs> 6 p.m. to about like whatever o'clock in the morning. I just yeah. was laser focused and trying for, you know, I did have, um, you know, one big smash success in, in, in Hollywood where I got to go to Comic-Con and travel around the world and sign autographs and have an opening at the Chinese theater. And I made the mistake of not taking a minute before that happened to remember it and to try and enjoy uh, what, you know, your manager agent would call like your moment. You know, I just like did it and went through the motions of it. And then I was like, Oh shit, done. Like, Oh man, I would have wished I paid a bit more attention. And I think just in being older, um, it wasn't thought out uh, this night. Um, but, you know, I was, I got my balls busted a bit the next day by this young lady for, you know, you know, I just, you said you were going to watch, you know, send me pictures and videos and I worry about your back. And, you know, it was very sweet, but I was like, even my mom's mad at me. Like, please don't be mad. I couldn't, I didn't realize what I was in for. It was, it was. No, you have to be present. Like I also, I just, I have these moments sometimes, even when I go to fairs or I do big things. Um, when, even when I write my reports now, a lot of the Jerry reports, when I first started them, they were like storybooks, you know, it was like, here's an image, here's a thought, here's an image, here's a thought. And now a lot of the Jerry reports don't come with images. I'm like, here's the thought. And like, it's because I'm very laser focused actually on being hyper present. And actually, I think my best writing now is coming out of like, just putting my phone in my pocket and like, really observing what's going on, really taking it in. And that was your moment. That was your moment. You'll never have your first time opening your first big show ever again. Like you did it, but you were there. You were a hundred percent there. So it was, I didn't, I didn't really put this thought like as eloquently as you just did, but to be present, I think in, obviously we have all these like key words we talk about now virtue signaling and i'm an empath and be present but to actually be present um like i was the other night was a was such a good feeling and it also made me feel so um connected to the people that were there that i was so grateful that came out to the show um i think i probably said thank you way too many times to people just for showing up <laughs> thank you thank you for being here not to interrupt you um but also uh, the work deserves it. And like, that is something that we discount, I think a lot with the phones. Um, it's like, we're not all here to take a selfie with the art. Like the way to truly honor the work is to like sit there and be with it and like to discuss it. And we owe that to the work. Like, yes, it's, you're going to make money off of the show. You're going to sell the work, but like also there's a moment of reverie reverence 
and the state of reverie. I, I love that word. And I think everyone should look that word up um, is incredibly important to like the act of viewing art. And we forget that because we're so inundated with art, especially if you're in the art world and you're going to a million art fairs, you're going to ex exhibitions, you're going to museums, you forget about this moment of reverie, which is a almost like a state of hypnosis. It's a state of med meditation and it's about being present. And those works, which Lord knows where they'll go, they'll go into a private collection. Maybe they'll go to an institution. Who knows? I, I don't know who you sold them to, but you they go out now. They go out into the world and we and you don't get to be with them anymore. So it's like nope. you owe it to the works to like chill with the phone and just be with them and honor them. So that's very cool. And um, I guess we're going to wrap up, but I just want to wish you <laughs> okay. congratulations again. Wait, well, I have Thank one final, so I have one final question because when I first met you, we had a long conversation about it. Um, who wins the NBA finals? Hildy, you can close your ears. What do we like? The, our audience I mean, doesn't do want, or what do we like? I mean, I what want, do we like? I want the fucking Celtics. I want the Celtics to win. You know, like it's a I'm a Celtics man to the bone. All right, but, they're gonna have but, the seat if they I face. Mean, Mavs got Mavs got eliminated yesterday, right? Mavs are done. It's the East is set, and the West is being shaken out for seeding. But you know, Hildy's rolling her eyes. Hey. Let me have this moment. I mean, are the Celts going to go in as number one or are the Heat two? Go they got the two seed. They're going to play the winner of the seven eight uh, play in game, which could be Miami, who's a pain in the ass. So that's not yeah, an easy they can they, they can scrap. They can scrap. But the Celts have turned from this like ninety. They're back to their ninety scrappy self, which I like. Okay, and but Jalen Brown cut his like, hand. The West is Jalen Brown cut his hand what? on glass yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, go Google, Google, read about it. He like has stitches. I don't Man. know. <laughs> All right. We'll let you guys come back for part two. <laughs> that was for me part only. Part two, NBA. We're doing yeah. NBA. Really? It's Is he so out, Jalen? Um, Thank you. Thank you, guys. Is there anything missed? Did we miss anything? No, but um, I really hope that you come to New York for uh, Freeze and uh it would be a pleasure to see you, of course. I'll a hundred percent. I think I'm going to be there for all of May. Um, okay, great. I want to come in and. We live in Connecticut now, man. Yeah, where we, you grew up. Where so. you grew up. So does my mama. Alex, before we wrap up, where can people find you? You know, we'll link everything in the bio. But if you want to give a shout out, you know what you're working on. The well, way. I started a new uh, Instagram account that's just uh, my last name, Depersia, D-I-P-E-R-S-I-A, Fine Art to you know as hildy knows i'm often posting art but also other absolutely ridiculous things on my personal instagram so i figured maybe it was time to do something a little more focused okay. um so i have my personal one and then i have an art one that i'm starting now and and i think uh, as you mentioned there matt maybe yeah maybe i should do a website maybe i should maybe uh, as hildy said i should you know do it get out there and uh give myself the permission to do it and uh That'll be uh, that'll be my focus for now, and uh, and I really hope that I get to do something else like this in the future. All right. Well, congratulations on a being the most handsome man in the art world, and b <laughs> throwing a kick-ass show in Paris during the scheduled riots. So we love Thank you. you. Congra Thank congratulations you. on making me cry on the podcast. Yeah, that's, that's a that's smack first, baby. I think that's the first. Is one. it? Yeah. <laughs>
That's a notch in the belt. All uh, right. We'll see you in May. Uh, well done, guys. Sending Miss you guys. Love. I'll see you soon. All right. You guys love as well. Bye-bye. You got some new home. Bye-bye. All right. That was our conversation with the one, the only, Mr. Alex DePersia. We will link everything that we discussed in the description of this podcast. Wow. I've never uh, made a man cry on a podcast before. <laughs> I'm just so proud of myself and also so touched. So, Jerry, what else did you learn from our conversation with Alex? Um, just, I was, um, I was actually reminded that it is, uh, so wonderful and beautiful to go from vision to action and then actually see your, the manifestation of your idea on the wall or, you know, in a space and, I like the reminder that no one actually ever gives you permission. You have to just do it yourself. It's you have, so true. You have to snatch the crown, you know? There's no one who can tell you you can't do it. Mm-hmm. It just takes a will, and mm-hmm. then, then there's the way. Um, go over to gigosian.com and sign up for um, a membership. It's uh, it's less than a, uh, what would we say? I don't know. Inflation is making coffee ever, ever so more expensive. Ever so more expensive. It's less than a frappuccino at... Uh, at Starbucks. With a double point. shot and some syrup, yeah. <laughs> but go over to Gagosian, G-O-G-O-S-I-A-N.com and sign up to be a member. Check out the website. And um, yeah, we're so grateful that we had a chance to talk to Alex. And we're going to continue to having some interesting guests coming up. Um, we have Josh Citarella coming up. Um, we have Jerry Saltz on the docket coming up. We've got some goodies on the way. So keep your panties up and your seatbelt on. All right, guys. This has been episode 21. See you later. See you on the internet.